truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Thanks for tuning in here today, live and on demand on The Blaze. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. If you'd like to join us, it's 888-900-3393. That's the number, 888-900-3393. You can also like us on Facebook, but they don't like us there, so you need to like us a lot for it to show up. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. And you can email the program, steve at stevedace.com. For those of you listening via Blaze Radio or on a podcast today on demand, last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. And if you are listening to a podcast today, if you wouldn't mind, if you haven't done this yet, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review at the podcast platform of your choice, we would greatly appreciate that. Thousands of you have done this already. Thank you very much. Coming up a little bit later on, it's Pop Culture Tuesday. We're going to look at a couple of the worldviews of recent major Hollywood releases. Uh, Also, uh, we're going to look at uh, the Trump tax cuts here and what are some of the myths and what are some of the facts surrounding uh, the, 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 the thousands who are going to be killed. If we cut taxes last year, now we're a full year into this, and we just uh, had tax day yesterday. David Harsanyi of The Federalist will be joining us to talk about that. Plus another weekly edition of Fake News or Not, Aaron and Todd will decide. Is this fake news or not? That's coming up a little bit later on. But we love to support worthwhile causes with our show, and there is no worthwhile cause maybe in all of the universe than the Word of God, and that's where Back to Jerusalem comes in as one of our partners. They're based in communist China, and their mission, their heart, their ministry is to take the Word of God to what are called closed countries all over the world. Why are they closed? Because these are nations ruled by oppressive regimes who try their best to close their people off from the scriptures. They don't want them inspired. They don't want them hope-filled because inspired and hope-filled people have less of a tendency to tolerate being oppressed. And so the mission of Back to Jerusalem is to take God's word to places like communist China, Somalia, Iran, North Korea, etc. But they need our help. They have put the Bible in a small electronic downloadable form. It's about the size of a pill that allows it, at least makes it easier anyway, to get it past the gatekeepers in these oppressive regimes. If you want to help fuel their ministry, here's how. BlazeHelp.org is the website you can go to, BlazeHelp.org, or you can give them a call at 844-305-0566, 844-305-0566. And now, here's Aaron with what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away, brought to you by Up in Flames. Yesterday, the world watched as one of the planet's most iconic landmarks and one of the Catholic Church's most recognizable cathedrals burned. Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris began construction in 1163 and was completed in 1345. Shock spread as the cathedral's spire and then the rest of its roof collapsed in flames. Parisian firefighters were able to contain the fire to the building's upper structure, meaning the two bell towers are still intact. As soon as the flames started to subside, a photographer for Reuters was able to sneak inside the cathedral and capture this stunning photo. Despite the charred ruins surrounding it, the altar and empty cross at the front stood standing unburned. There are not yet conclusive reports as to what started the fire. Officials have said that the ongoing restorations to the centuries-old building could have something to do with it. There are conflicting reports about the opening of a criminal investigation into the matter. 
Nancy Pelosi has been taking shots at the socialist-slash-Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wing of her party. On Sunday, she told 60 Minutes... She likes to minimize the conflicts within her caucus between the moderates and the progressives. You have these wings, AOC and her group on one side. That's like five people. No, it's the progressive group. It's more than five. I'm a progressive. Oh, that is true. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> An astute observation has led to laughter. Yesterday, she said this at an event. When we won this election, it wasn't in districts like mine or Alexandria's. However, wonder, I'm, I'm, she's a wonderful member of Congress. I think all of our colleagues will attest. But those are districts that are solidly democratic. This glass of water would win with a D next to its name. <laughs> Ooh, snap. In completely unrelated news, a new Emerson National poll of Democrats shows Bernie Sanders with a healthy 29% lead over Uncle Joe Biden's 25%. The rest of the field is at or below 9%. Speaking of Bernie Sanders, he did a town hall style event on Fox News yesterday evening. You know, when you wrote, wrote the book and you made the money, yeah. isn't that the definition of capitalism, the American dream? No. He also said... With regard to abortion, do you believe that a woman should be able to terminate a pregnancy up until the moment of birth? Look, I think that that happens very, very rarely, and I think this is being made into a political issue. Okay? So I think it's rare, it's being made into a political issue, but at the end of the day, I believe that the decision over abortion belongs to a woman and a physician, not the federal government, not the state government, and not the local government. The whole thing was a disaster, but seriously, kudos to Bernie Sanders for being as honest as we'd expect him to be going on Fox News. Democrats in Ohio's state legislature offered an amendment to that state's heartbeat legislation, giving an exemption to black mothers wishing to abort their children. The amendment was struck down, but remember... We are the racists. The Mueller report will uh, supposedly be officially released on Thursday, so I'm sure we'll be treated to some level-headed, self-possessed, and lucid analysis of that document when it's released. And finally, we go to Karapala, India, where villagers there partake in a religious festival where they fling bull feces at each other. In completely unrelated news, this village does not have access to Twitter. And that's what happened while we were away. <laughs> Aaron's montage brought to you by our friends at Riduzone. Uh, a lot of studies say we're pretty much at the point that most of our New Year's resolutions have failed by now. And if you've lost the resolve on what is annually Americans' number one resolution, which is to get healthier, to lose weight, uh, there's chances are it's your own fault. I mean, we don't believe in fake victimology on this show. So we'll just, you know, I mean, one of the reasons why it took me so long to lose over 100 pounds is because I wasn't willing to do what it took to lose it. I kept failing. All right, so let's not kid around here. There's a reasonable chance. The reason that your New Year's resolution failed is you failed. But sometimes we lose our resolve because we do everything we can possibly do, and it still doesn't net us the results we want. So we're like, what's the point, right? This is where Riduzone comes in, especially as we get older, our metabolisms, metabolisms, our metabolisms, easy for me to say, multisyllable words are hard. Our metabolisms just ain't what they used to be, and neither, apparently, is our enunciation. We will soon have a sponsor for that, too. 
Uh, our metabolism just ain't what it used to be, and that's where Riduzone comes in. It's main ingredient, and it's only got three. All right, and rice is one of them. Its main ingredient is OEA, which is the main substance found in olive oil, which is key in terms of metabolic regulation. Uh, our bodies produce this naturally, just not as much as we need them to as we get older. So you can go to the store right now as you're listening to my voice and go buy a bottle of olive oil and drink it. That, that's intense. Or you can just take, just take one capsule of Riduzone for the exact same results. And right now you can get a three-month supply of Riduzone for 30% off when you use my name as a promo code, Steve, when you go to Riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E for Riduzone.com, promo code Steve, for your discount. Well, let's get to the montage. I just want to say quickly, um, that amendment proposed there on that heartbeat bill is the most blatantly racist policy. That I, I mean, that's I mean, that, not something that's like been surmised or theorized or thrown out there for uh, satirical effect. I mean, actually proposed, put into legislative form. That is the most blatantly racist policy I have witnessed in my career. Based on the color of your skin, yes. you have different abilities or rights than the rest of us. Yes. Yeah. Especially the right when it comes to the right to life. Let me see. Based on the color of your skin, you have less of a right to life than the rest of us. Is there any precedent for this? Think of a time in our history where that's been proposed before. I got nothing. All right, let's get to it. Um, the big story I want us to talk about. Uh, and this was going on right as we were finishing the show yesterday is when this blaze began. And uh, the cathedral at, uh, at, at Notre Dame that uh, went down in flames in Paris yesterday. And I started to say a couple of things about this yesterday. And I could tell by the way some of you were reacting. You were freaking out. So I stopped. And decide I'm going to sit on this for a while. And, you know, I, I do my normal routine before every show where I go find the corner stall in the men's room here and do my best to get prayed up. So if you think, if you think my tongue is a little loose, imagine what it would be if I didn't do that whole prayer thing before the show began every day, right? So, and, and one of the things I want to make sure I do is I don't mind saying something that, Get your tidy whities in a bunch. I, is that a new slash? You think to like literally anybody that's watching this for more than the f first time? That's why I'm sitting here, man. Yeah, yes. But I, I, especially when we're talking about hefty spiritual matters like this, I, I, there's a there's a different layer of gravitas. It's not that we don't we don't try to be responsible with what we say on this show every day, but it's a little bit like you know the playoffs. And you're an athlete. You bring it every single Sunday if it's an NFL team or every, you know, five, six days a week if it's Major League Baseball, right? But when you get to the postseason, it just seems like whatever, this, this is, there's a little bit more at stake here, right? And this is a, this is a matter, I think, of, of immense spiritual heft. And so I, I think it, it calls for an extra layer of responsibility here on my part. So before I share my thoughts, here is what I want to do. There is wisdom in a multitude of counsel. 
So I'm going to let the two of you actually share your thoughts first. And Todd, I think it's only fair, given that you are the resident Catholic here on the show. Um, it's only fair for you to begin. Your thoughts. Uh, my thoughts is, you know, I regularly talk about, uh, you know, we try to be thematic here, keep bringing you back. I mean, that's really what the church is 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 supposed to fundamentally do, bring you back uh, to first things. Uh, and that which was built over the course of more than 100 years, 900 years ago, the good, the true, and the beautiful, simply to point to the glory of God, uh, was lost. And that is a great shame. Uh but it's really remarkable when you watch those joining uh, one another uh, on the river. Is it the is it, river? Is it closer? Sign the, yeah. the, the and watching the still burning cathedral and the singing Ave Maria. Now that that should not just be a pause button on a weird day when this thing goes down, and then you get on with the rest of your life. If this church still has all the meaning it was originally built for. And I think we all know, we just saw a poll within the last couple of days just across the pond in London about how uh, less than half of the professed Christians uh, in Great Britain believe in the actual resurrection and atonement of sin uh, by Jesus Christ. Uh, it's, it's not any better in France. Uh, th th that is one of the uh, least, uh, least pr uh, practicing uh, centers of Christendom mm -hmm. in the world. Just to put some data on that, 2%, 2 of French population identifies as evangelical, for example, too. Now, it's, the, the number is going to be more in terms of those who profess to be Catholic, but that, no, that, that's still going to be a small number, and then mm -hmm. the ones who actually practice are going to be in that residence. Th that means that that building there and good, I, I've I've talked. I know people in my parish that have been posting on Facebook. They they've been there recently. Uh, it, it is still a holy place for those practicing. But for the, for the people talking about this is a symbol of France. It's a it's a piece of our identity. Uh, if you're living the way you're living and professing the way you're professing, and you call it that, but all of the things that originally caused it to be built you're not only ignoring, but you're laughing at on a regular basis. That's just a whitewashed tomb there for, for the most part. And the instant, instantaneous, right? We have to build it again. I say, why? I know why I would want it to be built. Well, why do all of you want it to be built again? Perhaps you just need to stare at the smoldering ruins for a while, perhaps for like decades. You know, there was this people called the Israelites that had to wander 40 years in the desert just so they were like done before God started anew with his people, maybe instead of rushing to rebuild that thing, you just need to sing hymns in front of a smoldering ruin for a while until you remember that the only reason worth building something that beautiful is ultimately to glorify God and not to constantly be patting yourself on the back. How many days before yesterday did they stand out in front of that cathedral and sing Ave Maria? I think it's a small number, Steve. Aaron, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I was thinking about this a lot uh, yesterday, and I, um, on purpose, did not go on Twitter or try to get my hot take. There was enough of that. There were people making jokes about it, too, uh, which is just dumb. Um, but I, 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 have, I have several 
I have several thoughts. Of course, the first thing was what is responsible for this? And the first thought, of course, is as well, um, how come the other 300,000 days that were not Holy Week since this thing, uh, thing's construction? It's, I can't doubt it. Over 300,000 days that were not during Holy Week that this structure has been standing. How come it never caught on fire? during? I mean, there's been restoration. How come it never just caught on fire? Like that, three hundred thousand days, not Holy Week, since it its construction began. Um, that's the first thing. I don't think it's a coincidence. I, I don't think it's a coincidence at all. For one reason or another, uh, you can determine what that is. The second thing is I, I've expressed on numerous occasions my uh, respect and affinity for uh, classical. Um, and classical meaning old style Catholic architecture, because there is nothing. You walk into a classic basilica or th- or cathedral, there is nothing that is merely functional. There is nothing just we have these poles just to hold up that wall. There's some there's symbolism rooted in God's word behind. Well, rooted in in the Bible behind almost everything in every cathedral that I've been in, and I, I took great interest in this in college because. Where I went to college, one of the biggest buildings on campus was a former convent, and so the, of course, the now that it's evangelical, you know, all of the icons have been removed. But one of the greatest things is walking around campus in my historical theology class one day and looking at all of the meaning behind the architecture in some of these buildings, and the uh, the the um, the inspiration to awe and wonder at the majesty of the Almighty, even if you're not a Catholic. Seeing the uh, seeing seeing the imagery behind all of the architecture there is really a sight to behold, and that's why I have such a great affinity for that. And I I remember uh, eight years ago in two weeks I visited France with um, with an orchestra, and I got to go inside the Notre Dame uh, Cathedral, and it's stunning. Uh, but one of my favorite memories of that trip was in Geneva, actually. And you go into the cathedral where John Calvin used to preach, and we play there one Sunday morning, and the great doors opened at the back of this cathedral, and the bells started ringing to call people to worship. And the doors opened, and you could see out over the rooftops of Geneva, and you could see the Alps in the background, and it was a beautiful, just a stunning edifice, a, a, a beautiful place to play music and to worship. The doors closed maybe a dozen and a half people walked into that church that morning mm-hmm. to worship. And so when I'm looking at this and you're moved for basically the same reasons that that Todd is, because these churches, these cathedrals were built, and the meaning behind the architecture, everything has a meaning, and I could get into the specifics, but the meaning behind the architecture is not to be in and of itself an object of glory. It is meant to point you to your creator and be in awe of him and to be inspired to be in awe of his of his majesty. And seeing that thing burn that has been closer to a millennia on its feet than not, seeing that, that edifice burn is a reminder that nothing in this world is eternal. If that building invokes you to awe and wonder, what should, what should we do? We, we were made in the Imago Dei, and we're speaking in the spiritual sense, but our bodies will be destroyed. Our works, great and small, will be destroyed someday. Everything of this world, or nothing of this world, is eternal. That should be incredibly 
sobering when you watch a building, especially that's been up that that long. It was uh, around for a lot longer than anybody else uh, on this planet will ever be around or most of their works will ever be around. That should be incredibly sobering. And that's that's the biggest takeaway I had from yesterday. So I I didn't tell you two I was going to do this before the show started. And we didn't even compare notes on our thoughts. We haven't discussed this at all. Uh, we haven't discussed it at all until what would you say? I'm sorry. We rarely do. I yeah. would do. Yeah. Yeah. I, we didn't discuss this at all until we went live on the air. But you guys have kind of teed up for me what it is I want to say about this. Um, when I noted the timing of this yesterday on Twitter, it had really nothing to do with asserting what is the cause. Okay. I mean, I, I understand there's been a rash of church desecrations in France and really throughout Europe, uh, for example. Um, it's absolutely possible and that this is an accident. It's absolutely possible they're lying to us about whether it is or not. But one of the things, you know, we, we've been doing this series on, on, on Easter for Theology Thursday. And, you know, God loves to take poetic license. We have an entire book of the Bible that, and it's one of the largest, that is a poetic license, Psalms, um, metaphors, allegories, foreshadowings. And to watch the reaction to this cathedral burning yesterday and to watch political Twitter react to this. Save the paintings. What beautiful structure. As if this is just an act, as if this is an emblem of the Renaissance. When this thing has stood for an eon. It was, it was there centuries before the Enlightenment, centuries before the Renaissance. And it's, it's, a, it's a beacon to what used to be known historically as Christendom, which in a, in a secular way we refer to these days as Western civilization. And it, you know, this comes at a time that Western civilization is in a desperate attempt to diminish, if not end itself altogether, and just voluntarily. You know, this isn't, there's no Normandy conquest. There are no Visigoths, really. We're, you know, we are literally saying we're just kind of tired of being at the top of the cultural food chain and let's just give, you know, let's give paganism a shot again. And to watch a, a lot of people who promote the new paganism either literally being worked up over this or feigning being worked up over this. And I don't know them enough to know which it is. But if you really want to know what I think is happening here, it's the shot that Aaron showed in the montage. All of the ornate gone. And what stands is a pulpit, an altar, and the cross. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. Not the gates of hell, not the burning flames of hell, as this goes up in flames yesterday. There was a story late last night that the original stone foundation of the building 
was preserved. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This thing stood for nearly an eon. It even stood up to global warming, guys. It stood up to the Moors. It stood up to the reign of terror when the French revolutionist went in there, took down the iconography of Christianity, removed the Virgin Mary, and made sacrifices to the goddess of reason. And those sacrifices included church clerics. It stood up to Hitler, the Kaiser. And it just so happens to go up Holy Week out of nowhere. And what remains is the foundation and the cross. Jesus rebukes his disciples for failing to understand the signs or to read or acknowledge the signs of the times. I'm not here to debate with you what caused this. That's not the conversation. The conversation is the message that comes out of this. While the world sat there and mourned, and listen, we, it's not like we don't need more beauty in this world, okay? But while many of those who want to return us to the old paganism, that structures like that cathedral are monuments to Christendom conquering. They want to take us back to a world pre-1163. They want to take us back to a world of wickermen and May Day parades and paganism human sacrifice. They want to take us back to that world. Many of the people that were crying yesterday on political Twitter, oh, the artwork, it's like what you said. What, is it, what, is it, what does that mean to you? What's, the, what's any of this symbolism mean? All of the symbolism is gone, except for the most powerful and meaningful symbols of them all. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone foundation remains. The cross remains. Basically, everything else is gone. Let those with ears to hear, let them hear. Someone is speaking very loudly. Are we listening? Are we paying attention? Are we capable of hearing that kind of a message anymore? Do we want to? Do we want to hear it? Yeah. And the messages will get, pardon the expression, progressively louder. Until that someone decides 
I don't think they want to hear. I don't think they want to listen. They've exchanged the truth for a lie. And thus they've been given over to their own depraved minds instead. Don't church, don't get all worked up about who or what was the cause. Nearly as much as who or what is speaking through what remains. What remains? When was the last time you saw any story or coverage of this cathedral in your life? In your life! Let those with ears to hear, let them hear. Hey, back here on the uh, Steve Day Show here, live and on demand on The Blaze. One of our new partners here on the show is called Relief Factor. I'm looking forward to trying this product myself because I am uh, one of those folks who just has to daily deal with soreness pain as I get older. Uh, the workout schedule I try to keep, you know, it's estimated over 50 million Americans may even miss work due to pain. Uh, Americans spend about two grand per year on pain relief. I'm one of those 66% of Americans that have just kind of decided, hey, I'm just going to have to kind of live with this and manage it to some respect. Um, and I've, I've seen a ton of other people around here at The Blaze that use Relief Factor, and I've seen the results. And here's what you need to, you need to know about this. It's 100% drug-free, created by doctors. Uh, there's a three-week quick start program uh, that starts at only $19.95. Basically, it's a dollar a day for their trial pack. The vast majority of people who order this, the, the three-week quick start go on to order more and use this on a permanent basis. And there's four key ingredients. You always know it's a big thing for me. You know, four key ingredients that help each your help each of our bodies to fight the inflammation battle. So, if you want to give Relief Factor a try, here's how: uh, the three week quick start for only nineteen ninety five. If you go to relieffactor.com, that's Relief Factor, all one word, relieffactor.com. What do you got to lose other than that pain? That's a real pain. Relieffactor.com. All right, let's get to Pop Culture uh, Tuesday. And quick little audible is I got a note from an old high school buddy of mine, by the way. So uh, Ross Blackport, if you're listening, you prompted this. An old high school buddy of mine sent me a note last night. Uh, And this is Pop Culture Tuesday. We look at the intersection between pop culture and conservatism each Tuesday here on the show for a segment. And he wanted to know what were the top three resurrection movies uh, for family viewing. He says that uh, I haven't seen the passion yet and it sounds, but I'm wondering if it might be a little too much for my 10 year old. All right. So I gave him three just off the top of my head and I didn't have a lot of time to research this. Uh, the, the passion would be number one. I, I think we probably all would agree it's too intense for a 10 year old. I think my two oldest daughters saw it when they were around 12 and That's, they were ready for it. I yeah. have one right now who's 11 and just her, she's not ready for it. Yeah. I, Noah saw it for the first time at 11 last year. The other, the, the girls didn't see it until they were 12. Uh, 
So, but in, in, I, there's certain things we just know kids shouldn't see. And then there's a lot of things when you ask me, well, can my 12 year old do it? I don't know your 12 year old. Exactly. You know, this one though, I th- I'm pretty good, pretty cool with saying at the very least, 10 is too young to see this movie. Yeah, I think that's it. Okay. Um, but, but it would be n- number one on the list. Number two, just off the top of my head, that's a recent movie. Uh, if you've not seen the movie Risen with Joseph Fiennes, Risen is great. I mean, it is a, it's a remarkable film. And it tells the story of the resurrection through the eyes of a, uh, a Roman investigator who is sent to investigate um, the soldiers that uh, allowed the, uh, the, the body of this uh, you know, troublesome carpenter from Nazareth to be taken so that his followers could claim he was resurrected. And so it, it, it follows the resurrection, but from the other side of the, uh, of, of the looking glass. And you know, I've, I've kind of shown a propensity to like stories that do things like that. Okay. So, uh, but Risen is exceedingly well-written. And Joseph Fiennes is, is, is it's exceedingly well acted. So I would highly recommend that. And that's, that would absolutely be uh, fine for a 10 year old. Right? Yes. Okay. And then I threw one in just specifically that's kid oriented. This one's about 20 years old. And I forgot that Ray Fiennes was actually in this one. Okay. So if you're looking for something that is directly for kids, and of course you have all the classic veggie tales stuff as well, but uh, the miracle maker was, uh, was something that came out, uh, 1999, 2000, and uh, Ray Fiennes plays Christ in this, and it's fairly. It, it, it I haven't seen it in, since our kids were little, but from what I can remember, uh, mm. the orthodoxy in this is pretty good. I haven't seen it. Yeah, and and uh, it uses a lot of um, modern animation slash kind of what you see with the Lego movies kind of things at the same time. From what I remember, so. Since I got this last night, I just thought I, and I responded to it, old high school buddy of mine, I thought I'd share it with the rest of the audience if you're looking for things or tips and stuff to watch. I've got on my DVR at home, I'm going to try to watch some of it this weekend, but there's a series on Jesus, his life that uh, was recommended by several people whose opinions I respect. And I think it was done by history or the discovery channel. Oh, well, and that's normally why I'm out. Yes. That, that, n- normally, I would be like, you mean the the ancient history aliens channel? channel. Yes, it's the, it's the. Do they even do history on that channel anymore? It's just the, it's uh, it's ancient aliens every I, night now, no, right? I, I think uh, Senator Chuck Grassley has asked and answered this question at least five thousand times on his Twitter account. Yes, I, that that when that guy on, on ancient aliens with the funny hair. He's like the Guy Fieri of the, uh, or Fieri, whatever that guy's name is. I love that guy. I just can't remember how to pronounce his last name. But Guy Fieri, Fieri. He's like, you got to roll the R. You're Italian. I can't do it though. All right. (laughs) Uh, But he's like the Guy Fieri of the, uh, of the history channel. He's like omnipresent on that channel. He's kind of their most recognizable face now, the complete loon there. But um, this is actually very well done from what I'm told. I've, I've been DVRing it. They've been running it as a whole series leading up to, this weekend, obviously. Can you say the title again? I think it's called Jesus, His Life or something. Okay. And so I've been DVRing it. I have not had a chance to watch it. I will watch it here maybe as soon as this weekend. So I was going to DVR the whole series, then watch them. And uh, I'm at the point now. Are you guys at this point where you can't do episodic television? I can't do it. I mean, I, I, I am so conditioned now. Like when, when my kids were old enough to watch Flash and 
And and so we I we went back and watched season one on Netflix, and and then season two on Netflix and got caught, and they were caught up and they were like, well, we don't want to like watch episodes. We'll just wait until the season ends in May when it goes on Netflix and we'll just watch them all in a row. And I thought that was going to be like a real hard adjustment for me. Cause you know, are you still, are you at the point where you can read books on, on a tablet yet? I can't do it. Can no. you do it? No, I never will be. Even as a young guy, you can't do it. I can't. No. Cause I thought we old guys, I can't read a book on a tablet. I can't do it. It just doesn't, it doesn't feel right. On the other hand, I don't need, I, I, I don't need to hold a newspaper to you. No, no, and I. But the, the the generation older than us is like I can't read newspapers. I I need the feel of the newspaper. I'm just so used sure. to that culturally, you know. So I, I I don't need to me holding a newspaper would feel weird, you know. Um, I don't I I can't do books on tablets yet. It just kind of feels awkward. Like it's not really the reading of a book to me. Um, but I thought this adjustment of going to just waiting and I, and I thought there's no way I can avoid the spoilers and I'm going to break down and I got to watch it. No, I'm, I'm actually totally fine with it. You know, I'm, I think the only show episodic show that I am actually watching episodic style right now is Gotham. And the only reason I'm doing it because what I had done the previous few seasons, just DVR them all and watch them in a, in a row until they started showing up on Netflix this season's the last season and it's leading up to Bruce Wayne becoming Batman at the end. And so given that, I know there's no way to avoid any spoilers, you know? So there's no way to just kind of put it in the, put them in the bank and watch them later. So I have been watching that as it goes along just because I, given what's at stake in the final year, I, I know that I can't avoid it. That all the stuff's in my Twitter feeds and everything all the time, but I'm at the point now that I just, I don't watch shows I don't, I don't watch a lot of shows in general but i don't i don't watch them one at a time i just can't do it anymore can you well i wasn't watching much episodic television before dvrs and before i had dvrs that life had already kind of trend that's i was trying to raise you know four consecutive daughters and same with you i mean at some period mm-hmm. there was just it was that it was survival and you were watching veggie tales or something like that so i guess i never had to make the transition yeah, our my kids are just like and and they're they're uh they're 18, 14 and 12. And they just are from an era where the idea that they would just wait for a week to find out what happened next. They're just from a different era. Do you, no, we don't we listen, don't do that. We try to raise our kids the way we think that they're going to be able to be survivors. Yeah. But have you how much have you thought about cuz I'm sure you have I have like how much just that kind of stuff makes you inherently weak the next generation you See, just I can't I think roll that's with the, I think that how much did you know, I don't know I, the answer to it I, but I, I wonder I wonder if like when after Gutenberg invented the printing press I wonder if the old men sat around you know if they don't pass these traditions and stories on orally people won't no, no, learn to think but, for themselves listen, but delayed gratification that's a grown-up quality. Yeah, oral tradition. Well, the meticulous writing, monks writing out copies of Bibles at places like Notre Dame Cathedral over the courses of many years. Jewish uh, Jewish scholars meticulously by hand, making sure every word of Hebrew, every letter matches the you know what was passed on down to them. And now all of a sudden, we're just going to print these off and hand them out to people in all kinds of languages. I wonder if that made them lazy in the 15th century. It's the well, same argument, isn't it? No, I kind of think that it is. I think there's a multitude of ways we are going soft. That's not one of them. That's just how 
technology and cultures small e evolve. Okay. Well, there's you know there's lots of studies about cell phones and it's actually changing how brains work, how and the inability to interact with humans in a way that heretofore was normal. Now, normal in I, the past, I, Ian's, I, we go back, there was I, a lot of murdering and pillaging. Guys, I use a cell phone like five hours every day. I'm just fine. <laughs> Step off. Uh, I mean, as opposed to, you know, in an era where no human being was within a 20 mile you know, radius and you had to write letters to everybody, you know, when they had, they were really good at human interaction, stuff like that. I'm just, have you seen kids these days, man? And you know what our parents looked at us and said, have you seen kids these days? And you know what their parents looked at them and said, damn millennials. Have you seen kids these days? And you know what their parents looked at them and said, That's, have you kids seen kids these days? That, you know what their no. parents looked at them and said, Name me the generation of parents who look. No. See, this is not what I intended for us to talk about. But since we're here, by golly, let's let's. If you want to get nuts, let's get nuts. Name me, and I'll wait. Name me the generation of parents who looked at the next generation of kids and said, "I really think things are going to get better." I'll wait. No, that's not true. That's a, like ever. Yo, know, that happens all the time. Oh, really? Throughout okay, history, I'm waiting. Give me one. You you really don't think that's happened? No, I don't think it's ever happened in all of human history. No, no I totally disagree. I, I I promise you what we call the greatest generation. <laughs> I promise you. The day oh. before Pearl Harbor, December 6, 1941, the day before, the day before, I guarantee you parents looked at the young, those young people and said, man, uh, they want to sit around. They want to dance the yes. Charleston. They want to go to the movies. They don't want to work. They don't want to take over the family farm. They don't want to, they don't want to work in our, you know, the, the, in the factories. I mean, they want a prolonged adolescence. We had just come out of the roaring twenties, which basically invented teenagers. Okay. I promise you the day before that was going on. I promise. That that's, that's just a cliche for it happens in specific generations, but there's other generations that have been name one rightly proud. Name one, preemptively proud. I'm not talking about rightly proud, preemptively proud. Name me one generation what? that didn't look at the next generation and say, preemptively, we're doomed here. We're done. Give me one. I don't like ever. That's that's just not true. Six thousand. I, I keep asking. There's. I'm giving you six thousand years of a framework. Pick one. Tell me when. That no, you you pick one that it def, definitively take, take everyone take issue with everyone specifically though take issue all oh, of them. No, that's too all easy. all of them specifically. That's too easy. That's Be, not even an argument. Something, that's not a Daisy an argument. <laughs> some things are easy. <laughs> that's not easy. Gravity's not an argument. It's a law of nature. It's not an argument. We're not arguing with gravity. It is. This is the this is another law of nature. Every generation believes the next one is the doom. Every single one. And by the way, history shows often that's been true. You know, well, it, name me a perpetual civilization. Has there ever been a perpetual civilization? Nope. Okay. So um, there's been a perpetual kingdom. You know, you just kind of alluded to it in the last segment. Well, the funny, but, it, but that's not a civilization. The, name me a perpetual civilization. There's never been one. No, that's a different which, argument. Which means at some point, the, the next di- generation we keep, we was keep the end. shifting the argument. The, the founding fathers... Didn't believe they they wouldn't have done what they did. They they believed in a republic if you can keep it, but they believed fundament. Thomas Jefferson fundamentally believed that the next generation generation born under freedom could perpetuate it. Okay, 
And and but they but they. <laughs> now that generation's gonna save us right there. Are you kidding me? There's some there's some deliverance if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but uh, yes, but at the same time they were they were paranoid about you know what would happen if they handed well, these they, kinds of freedoms and stuff to a generation that wasn't responsible and capable of receiving it well, that, they were paranoid about they 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 practiced they walked and chewed serpent, gum well why isn't serpents and innocent yeah. as dove they didn't believe we're gonna give you this new birth of freedom but you guys are definitely gonna screw it up and what's the point anyway no they did it because it was worth doing and they didn't think did they acknowledge there was a, a risk of it being screwed up that's that's a different question sure. of course there's a risk in every generation but it doesn't mean that every generation thinks that the next one is a screw up you never thought John Adams came home from the Continental Congress and thought, I really, I'm not sure my sons are are at the point yet that they can take on uh, what's coming. Well, I think that about my own kids, but I also think that I'm also raising kids that can and will answer the bell. Aaron, as as a representative of the next generation, it is most assuredly going to doom us. Your thoughts? I'm triggered right now uh, (laughs) by Todd's words. Still no coffee. Singling us out. Uh, once more, um, I do need a safe space. Uh, perhaps some avocado toast. Steve's singling you and, out. I um, think there's hope in you. Uh, and really? Oh, boy, I completely missed the last conversation. Carry on. I'm sorry. I'm actually, no, no, no. I'm the one defending you. <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah, by Todd, pointing out that these the kinds of... gaslighting now. I, I, Come on, I, now. This is not much different. <laughs> I mean, Generation X was going to be the end of this. We were going to, we were falling for political correctness and video games and and everything. We were going to be the end. Every generation feels this way. This started a a conversation about what technology. What are your thoughts on Shazam? Oh yeah, that's where you start. We can go to that. You finish your thought. I'm sorry. No, it was a a conversation about the trappings of what you started talking about with technology, instant Mm -hmm. gratification. Do we? delay any gratification just i mean we are in the middle of the season of lent there's a reason why we do that it, it, it's it's in order and you ably a couple of days ago talked about the importance of humility mm-hmm. can we be truly humble if we must have have now 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 that's that's really really hard i w- i i completely agree with that i know that's why I, I, I think that's a holistic human condition I don't believe this generation's technological challenges, they're more dramatic, but I don't find them different. Meaning I think the advancements are more dramatic, but at the heart, you know, automobiles, internal combustion engines made instant gratification easier. Um, The written word made instant gratification easier. The printing press made instant gratification easier. In in a way, that's always the trade-off with any technological advancement. I think where this generation is 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 more ill prepared. Aaron's generation is more ill prepared. Is that their the previous generation didn't act on their fears of what what the next generation was capable of, but cuddled with them and enabled them instead, and said, you know what, you're right. Yeah, uh, you probably did go into that school and shoot everybody up because they bullied you. So let's stop keeping scores. At games, and let's take let's take away anything that might hurt your feelings whatsoever. Okay, and so now we've got Instagram stars, which I didn't know this even existed, crying on videos Man. because their accounts got suspended, and they can't. They, and they and they say, "I can't quote blanking go back to a real job." All right, that is something previous generations would not have done. 
I agree with that. Because the expectations that would have been foisted upon them from the the pre-existing generations wouldn't have tolerated that on any level. Uh, everybody would have taken turns taking that brat behind the woodshed and 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 breaking their foot off. Yeah, but that's the fault of the of the older generation. Sure, not I, theirs. Oh, that I agree. I don't believe I don't believe the millennials are the are the oh. are the problem. Oh, their not, parents and grandparents are. No, I this goes to what you said about that argument a couple of days ago about it's it's not their fault. It's not their fault that technology was born of this time, but it's yep. like with the Bible. Uh, having individuals, each individual having their bi- uh, Bible is a value-neutral proposition. It's what you do with the same with a cell phone. Am I glad I have a personal Bible also? But it, it's a Catholic argument, an argument that now that everybody has a Bible, are we more clear about what the Bible means? I don't think we are than at any point in human history. It's that kind of argument. Okay. Shazam's really good. Pet Cemetery's not. <laughs> Hour 2 is next. And we're back with Hour 2, live and on demand on The Blaze. I'm Steve Dace, Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. 888-900-3393 is the number to The Blaze. You can also like us on Facebook, but they don't like us there. We've been shadow banned, so just hit that like button about uh, uh, 300 times, and maybe one of them will uh, actually be counted by Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show, at least until we're shadow banned there as well. Uh, and then you can uh, email the program, steve at stevedace.com. Last name for those of you just listening today on Blaze Radio or via the podcast. D-E-A-C-E, I got a note on Facebook from someone who was so excited. For the first time in a year, you actually showed up in my feed. <laughs> it's come to <laughs> Oh, I'm not the only person Facebook is shadow banned, but maybe I'm maybe I'm still taking it well. Uh, coming up uh, a little bit later on, uh, we will have this week's uh, rendition of fake news or not. You know, we're, again, we're not uh, fans of, of faux victimology here on this show. So if you're not eating a well-balanced diet, that is a you problem. Now, I know uh, it's just not convenient today to eat fresh to get as many whole foods in, let alone it's it's not inexpensive. But thankfully, our friends at Brickhouse Nutrition have come to the rescue. No more excuses because being healthier is as simple as putting one scoop in any cup of water-based drink, stirring it up, and you're done with Field of Greens. Uh, it is real USDA organic fruits and vegetables complete with antioxidants that boost your immunity, has that antioxidant power. It's prebiotic and probiotic. And the cool thing about this too is uh, it tastes really good uh, and it it doesn't have the 900 grams of sugar that a lot of these uh, naked uh, drinks that you buy at the store have that are naked with everything except all that sugar. It's real foods. So when you turn over the label, it doesn't say supplement facts. It says nutrition facts, all right? So this is one of the ways I get my fruits and vegetables in. You can give it a shot as well. Just go to BrickHouseSteve.com. That's the website, BrickHouseSteve.com, and get 15% off of your first order when you use promo code Steve at BrickHouseSteve.com. David Arsani is here with us from The Federalist. Good to have you back on the show, David. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. So you've been uh, doing a lot of stuff about uh, taxation and Trump's taxes and the tax plan and looking back on uh, the outrage and the dead that we were promised, the, the, the mounds of bodies that we were all promised would take, would take place if 
taxes were cut. If you don't mind, though, I just want to take a brief detour on something that is in your Twitter feed that is tax related. But I want to I want to let you highlight this so our audience is aware of it. Okay. So yesterday, and I don't think this timing was was coincidental. As Bernie Sanders is doing a national town hall uh, on Fox News, one of his primary rivals, Beto O'Rourke unveiled, what is it, 10 years of his taxes or something going back to 2008, correct? Correct. And and you went back and looked through his taxes because you're just a swell guy. You're, I mean, you're a public servant, so we appreciate that about you, David. You, like, you went back and found what percentage of his income had he donated to charity over the last what? decade? Well, I just quickly want to say that I stole that number from someone else okay. who went back and looked. So I'm sort of a conduit not a real public servant. Uh, I think it was 0.031% of his taxes went to charity. A guy who is for confiscating property, who wants huge socialist tax raises and everything else can't personally. And isn't he, I think he's married to like a billionaire or something. He gave 0.031% of his income in taxes to charity. Let's, there's two ways to look at that. One is there's an obvious you know, political hypocrisy angle at play here. But I'm wondering, is that the low-lying fruit? And here's why. Because according to their worldview, you know, if it's, you know, with a wife that's a billionaire, he's paying what the top 1% pay, what is it, 90% of the, of the, of the income taxes in the country or something like that, right? Or 88%, right. something like that. So they're paying a lion's share of income tax with that kind of income. According to their statist belief system, that's that's a tithe in an effect, right? They're heavy tithers, right? Is that another way of looking at it in a way? No, I think that's the right way to look at it. I think that when, when you view the state as sort of the church and the do-gooder and the person who's going to save person and the institution that's going to save communities and, you know, where all our morality comes from, you view that as enough. I mean, you don't really see the need to help in other ways. And I think Democrats are specifically progressives, but more and more Democrats view the state as the means of charity, as the means of uh, lifting people up out of poverty, as the means of doing anything that's good. So why would you mm-hmm. waste your money and time? You're, the state is crowding out charities in more way than, ways than one. And we've for a long time seen the conservatives, especially social conservatives, give the most amount of money in this country. And I think that's definitely uh, one of the driving reasons why you don't see these candidates, not just Beto, but others as well, giving so little. Let's, I mean, he knew he was going to run for president. You'd think he should just drop a few thousand on a charity just right. to make him look better. But but in, 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 their, in their primary, he can argue, hey, I've, I've paid more to the church of state than anybody else. I'm married to a billionaire. You know, I mean, he's got... He's got the tithing, uh, you know, Hall of Honor there, doesn't he? Get, get a green jacket uh, in this in the status tithing Hall of Fame with that number. Well, he's definitely giving more. He'll just say that he wants to give even more if they let him, as if you know he couldn't just send it in himself to the state if he views that as the church. He's sure. free to send them more money as well. And of course, guys like us would note it. This is never voluntary. Whenever we tell them, you can just pay more voluntarily if you want. These guys never, uh, never go ahead and sign up for that. Let's go back to the original debate on on the Trump tax cuts. And what I found fascinating at the time, and I, I kept saying this when this was going on, that if you're running ads, and you know Iowa was one of the where I live uh, here on our we do our show from for the Blaze every day was one of these states that had several battleground congressional districts in the 2018 campaign, and and we were seeing all those ads back in 2017 
you know, uh, these tax cuts are raising taxes on everyday Americans, yada, yada, yada. And I thought that's one hell of a gambit to preemptively lie to people because at some point these things are going to become law and, and folks are going to get a paycheck and they're going to get a paste up and there's either going to be more in there or less, right? And so you're, you're, to go out there and tell them preemptively that they're not really getting a tax cut, that this is all, all of this is going to billionaires like Beto O'Rourke. Um, and nobody in suburban Des Moines and Clive or Windsor Heights, you know, neighborhoods by where I live, none of them were going to see a tax cut when eventually we would actually get to see with our own two eyes whether there was more or less money in our paycheck. I thought that to be a, to be a damnable strategy to try at the time, David. Well, there's two things that help that strategy. One is that you have basically the whole mainstream media giving that point of view and sort of confusing the issue or just basically lying about the issue or whatever. Other problem is I think we're so disconnected in a way from how we pay taxes and what we pay that a lot of not very bright people uh, think because they're not getting a, a bigger refund, for instance, that they're actually, you know, not, not you know, are paying more in taxes. So it, it gets confusing for people because of the tax structure itself. Um, you, I'm sure you saw the polls where most people don't even know they got a tax cut. I think over 80 percent of Americans got some who paid taxes got a tax cut. And yet only the majority of Republicans know it and Democrats don't because, you know, politics has become a faith and people just it's, it's a blind faith and people just believe what they're told rather than what they're actually seeing quite often. How how then would they explain why there was more money in their check? How, what would be their explanation for that? I don't know. I guess, you know, a lot of what you're telling me is these people are too stupid to live. So what, what, what would be their answer? I'm happy that you said it. I, I don't you know, I think <laughs> it, uh, I think that uh, it is confusing in a way and, and, and salaries fluctuate and all that stuff. And they don't just realize it or don't want to believe it. I mean, clearly, this tax cut was as most tax cuts. Listen, Democrats always essentially lie by saying that only the rich are getting the tax cut or the majority of tax cuts. And that's, as you and I know, because they pay most of the taxes. So this is an even more, be- this is an even better tax cut than before. It's the, probably in 30 years we haven't seen anything like this. Um, and none of their predictions came true. And I have to blame the administration a little for not um, really stressing that everyone got mm-hmm. a cut. I think do a better job on that, on that, you know, in, in doing that. But other than that, I'm not sure why people don't understand that they are paying less. Is this an argument, therefore, that the cut wasn't big enough, that they should have cut more I'm to always make it more that. obvious? Yes, we have to make it more obvious, more cuts. I, I think, uh, obviously, I like more cuts. And also, by the way, you know, a lot of people believe they're not getting a cut because of some of the cuts were corporate tax rate cuts, mm-hmm. which in essence are also a cut for consumers and everyday people. And they might not notice that right away, but that usually brings down the cost of things. So... Um, I'm not sure, you know, that's sort of hidden and embedded in, in your everyday life. But, yeah, let's have a bigger cut. I think we need to let people know that they're uh, that these sorts of things help them in their everyday lives. Well, you kind of spoiled where I was going to go next, but let's let, let's touch on it again anyway, because it's a good follow up to what we were just talking about. So they went the, the previous year. They we, we they preemptively lied to people that they weren't going to get a tax cut that they ended up actually saying with their own two eyes. And now they're being told that um, they're, they're, they're not getting uh, the government screwing them, which is true. But in this context, it's not uh, because the refunds aren't as big as they used to be, except that's because you're paying less into the system than you used to. Again, are we really this dumb? Are we really this dumb, David? 
Some people are, I think. Uh, I saw, what's her name, Alyssa Milano yesterday <laughs> railing against the tax cuts because she pointed out only, you know, $6 billion less in refunds than the year before. So it's obviously some people can be fooled by that sort of thing. And um, and that's a problem of the electorate, I think, that we have uh, not specifically only to tax policy, but many other policies as well. The claims that the the panicked claims, you brought this one out. It was my favorite, one of my favorites at the time, former uh, Clintonista uh, economic guru, Larry Summers, claiming literally 10,000 people, put a number on it, that literally 10,000 people were going to die. All right. Any, they, did any of these things, any of the things they said were dire would happen? And, and I didn't live to see it because I, I was already killed off by net neutrality. So for those of you that survived net neutrality and were lived long enough to see the Trump tax cuts come into law, did any, a single one of the dire predictions that were made, did any of them come true? No, I, I had this long thread I was building, um, going back to see what people had said, Paul Krugman, you know, the Washington Post, CNN, all these columnists and, uh, you know, fact checkers and economic writers and and stuff like that. And I honestly, I got bored of doing, there were so many um, predictions that didn't come true about how the economy was going to just fall apart, how people were going to die, like you say, Larry Summers, how how um, you know the the only the rich were going to get a tax cut? How people in big states weren't going to get tax cuts? It's not true either. So it's just it was completely wrong. But let's be honest, this is just sort of like the default position now. No matter what happens, it's always the end of the world. Uh, when whether it comes to the, leaving the Paris Accord, leaving you know the Iran deal, uh, you know the tax cuts, the healthcare policy, it doesn't matter. It's always people are going to die. Um, because Republicans want to kill them for some reason, and it never comes true. And then they just, we repeat this cycle over and over again. David Harsanyi is our guest here on The Blaze. He's with The Federalist. So let's look at this from the other side. You know, and one of the things I try to encourage our audience to do is sometimes a straw man is a straw man. If it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, right? Sometimes a construct is a construct. But a lot of times the things that we we turn into straw men and constructs Aren't in, they may be effectively or effectually that, but they're not intentionally or purposefully that. I mean, they didn't set out to be those things. That they may they may self-parody themselves into that corner, as you and I have just been itemizing. But from their perspective, they think they're putting forth legitimate discourse here sometimes. So what would be let's look at it from their point of view. Why do they believe these things? I mean, why in fact, let me put a finer point on it, David. Why do you think they would say they believe things like this? Well, I, first of all, I don't think everyone believes. It. I think there are cynical politicians and cynical columnists who sort of throw this out there because some people do believe it. Why do they believe it? It's because they want to believe it. It's a sort of matter of blind faith. And I, I don't think it's a specific policy either, meaning I think that um, generally they try to create a perception overall that all these things together are, you know, are nihilistic, that Republicans hate the poor. And it's not just about one specific policy. It's some, it's, it's sort of a mantra that they need to repeat no matter what's going on. And our politics have gotten a lot more emotional, meaning when I was young, you could see someone like Ronald Reagan or, you know, come around and, and convince a lot of people that his policies were better. And then you can win 40 something states and so on. Today, I don't think that's possible. I think partisanship has become much more ingrained in people and people are much more rigid. So even when they see evidence undermining their claims, they don't believe it. I mean, 
you know, Mueller could say there's no collusion. You could quote him, but that won't stop people from saying that, you know, Donald Trump colluded with Russia. It doesn't matter what people see. They just continue to believe the things they want to believe. And it, it's, it's like it is like blind faith people have in, 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 in religion or ideology. And, and it's, you know, it's something that's a little different, I think, than we've been seeing in America for the last you know, or we've been seeing something different for the last decade than we did maybe for 100 years before that. Historically, when this occurs, this dynamic that you just described, historically, when this occurs in a culture, it is similar to a divorce in a marriage. It, it's a when when you cease looking, and I, that doesn't mean you're never frustrated by your partner. Human beings are fallible. That doesn't mean they're never wrong. That doesn't mean they don't have things to apologize for. You're not legitimately angry. But when you get to the point that the resentment is so grounded that you cease giving them the benefit of the doubt. You can't bring yourself to find out empathetically why they might see a situation differently than you or didn't fulfill a need that you had that you expected from them. When the resentment is so set in now that the benefit of the doubt ceases and you, and you just want that narrative to be reinforced, you're describing this on a cultural level and this happens when one or both parties either are not interested in coexisting anymore or just don't think that it's possible. Right. And I think you hit on something. It used to be that we, or at least maybe I'm romanticizing the past, but it seems to me that we used to at least have the same goals in mind. We had, we thought we had the, you know, we saw a problem and we had different ways of trying to fix that problem, poverty, whatever it was. Uh, and we, we went about it in a different way. Some wanted more government, some wanted less and so on. I think today we don't even view the same things as problems where the right might say, oh, we have a, you know, illegally coming over the border is, a, you know, that's a problem we need to fix in some way. And the left says, let's break down those walls and let anyone who wants to come over. And I'm sure that they see things and, you know, other topics and the you know issues in the reverse. So uh, that's a big problem because now you have two separate narratives, two separate ideas about what America should be about, two separate ideas about what should we should be dealing with. So when you see gridlock in Congress, it's not something that's um, contrived. You have gridlock in Congress because you have two separate sides that just simply can't come together on anything. And Congress is supposed to be that way when you can't come together on anything. I don't know where that leads. I don't think it leads to a very good place. And I don't really think that we're getting better. I think we're getting much worse you know, uh, in, in conjunction to what I'm just talking about. So uh, that worries me a bit. And I'm usually not as pessimistic about the future as I am these days. Final thing, what would, what then do you think of, what was the best claim that came true on the, on the Trump uh, tax cuts? And then what, what was claimed by the administration that you're thought you're like, yeah, I don't think we saw the result there we were hoping for. Well, um, I think the best claim is that most people got a tax cut and uh, that helps everyday Americans. They have more money in their pocket. I am ideologically for tax cuts because I want government to have less money. Now, the flip side of that and what didn't come true is that uh, there was economic growth, but that didn't lower the deficit and it doesn't stop, uh, you know, government from spending and, and overspending. Does this and does this get rid of the canard? Is it, has it been proven to be a canard now? You can't grow yourself out of a deficit. You, you, you can't. In other words, if you don't stop spending. All right. Like, like you can work out all you want. If you, if you consume, you know, a hundred grams of sugar a day, you're not going to have six pack abs, no matter how many sit ups you do. Right. The math just doesn't work. You can't outwork all those grams of sugar. So the idea that we can grow ourselves out of deficits without substantive spending cuts, has this been ruled uh, null and void from this time forward? 
historically speaking, I think that that is a, a hard to argue truth that you just laid out. Um, in the end, I think growth is it plays a giant part in in, uh, in 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 helping with the deficit and debt long term. But in the end, you're going to have to cut spending somewhere, or you're going to have to reform uh, uh, reform uh, spending that that is on autopilot and keeps growing and growing. So at some point, you're going to have to deal with those things, or you don't care about the deficit. And in truth, it doesn't seem like either party very much cares about the deficit because they don't care about long term problems. They care about problems and political problems that undermine them or help them today. So. Um, I do. I'd rather cut spending and see the deficit grow than increase spending and see the deficit grow. So, um, you know, that's where I, I stand. And it, it's unfortunate that we don't care about the debt. But I mean, I don't think voters care that much either. If they mm -hmm. did, they would vote out people who continue to expand spending. David Harsanya over at the Federalist. You guys do great work. We've uh, always been a fan of you guys' site. Thanks for joining us today, David. Good to see you. Thanks so much. You guys have any reaction to the conversation we just had from uh, da with uh, David Harsanya from the Federalist? Well, I like the idea of cutting taxes even more so, uh, you know, this will be uh, more noticeable for people who are conveniently now that tax returns are coming in much less, um, you know, more noticeable for them. But this goes to a fundamental, again, again, the people complaining now, a fundamental lack of understanding of civics. Uh, and I don't mean to be the get off my lawn, we need to start teaching civics. I mean, this is just basic um, economics 101 in which it's the number one reason steve i think probably why you would say well not the number one reason but one of the reasons why you would say if you had uh carte blanche power to change anything in the united states it would be to get rid of withholding mm -hmm. because so much would change if people would just take out their checkbooks once a year or four times a year and write a gigantic check i, to I the believe government. short of spiritual revival it is the yeah. most sweeping sure. change that could happen yeah. in our whole culture is that sure but again, the fundamental misunderstanding of uh, of civics and how our country uh, or how our our, our, our just infrastructure, our civic infrastructure, I, could, I should say, uh, works because people would rather see, even if they have to pay more and give get the government a bigger por a portion of their paycheck for basically an uh, interest free loan, people would rather see a big chunk of money at one time a year then get a lot more money over a longer period of time. Um, it's, it, it is mind-numbingly frustrating to watch, but that's, that's the state. I mean, it's, it's as much of a cultural problem as it is a cutting waste, fraud, and abuse problem. Uh, it is even more so a cultural problem than it is um, the, the in, latter. In talking about a very specific thing, taxes, budgets, etc., you guys kept coming back to basically are people dumb or not? And I don't know about you, but in my interactions out in uh, with people in every walk of life and when I irritate them and that happens on a regular basis, if I'm dealing with schools or youth sports or things like that, it's because these people aren't fundamentally dumb. There's some gray matter up there, but they believe really dumb things and they hate it. When that's point, and it doesn't matter what your tone is, the nicest thing in the world. It's just, hey, hey, they want to say, hey, look at my Rube Goldberg machine. I'm like, no, that way too many moving parts. That's really not how this works. This is the truth here. Uh, that is pervasive. The, the lack of our understanding of fundamentals as adults in all walks of life. It's crucial to our demise. Well, and it's why I would, it, it, it's why this has always been throughout my career, the number one change I would make civically. Because, and, and, and the reason why it would have the most sweeping change uh, in, a, in our culture 
other than spiritual revival is because in in the minds east of eden government is the most powerful thing on earth if we don't acknowledge that god is government is government is the is 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 the uh, is the fulcrum here government is the um it's the measuring stick so minus minus faith in god and obedience to god what government says goes and from time immemorial you read through the old testament you you read some of the names of the of the kings that the israelites uh, conquered and threw out of out of canaan and they refer to themselves as baal a name well baal is a well we know baal is a specific reference okay but it's also a general one all right so baal is a specific demonic deity of the old testament but it also means lord all right and so what they're literally saying is you know i'm baal peor i'm lord peor i'm i'm he's claiming some act of divinity and this is not unique the you know the christian church i mean found this friction throughout the early throughout its early history and its interactions with the roman empire pre-constantine the idea that caesar is lord Every government on earth has claimed to be God or have a direct conduit to God. The divine rights of kings, all right? And so one of the reasons when the founders took over, the Bible they commissioned wasn't the King James. It was the Geneva Bible, all right? And um, because there was a whole controversy there about was a certain verse amplified to to give the uh, the you know the the state make it seem like uh, Romans thirteen gives it more authority than it actually has. All right, so this is not a new argument. And what happened, unfortunately, is we agreed to a system that allowed us to vacate the argument to just not have it anymore, and just tell the state, you take what you need and just give me the rest. Can you imagine? Any of the men that signed that Declaration of Independence lining up to sign up for that scheme. And let me give you, let me, you know what? Let's do a thought exercise for just a second. I know we're almost out of time in this segment. Suppose, suppose they made numerous entrees to the throne, to the, to the crown. They, they made petitions to parliament. This went on for years. They didn't just, they, there wasn't an edict to raise the stamp tax and they were like, oh, hell no. And they loaded up their muskets. This went on for years, years of debates and pleas, everything else. So suppose King George III at some point offers them a deal and says, I'll tell you what, I'll dial back the level of taxation to what was previously acceptable around here. I'll honor your request. In exchange, okay, you give me my cut first before you take yours, before you ever see it. Give me my cut first. Preemptive withholding. I'm asking, I don't know, I think the founders would have gone for that. The idea that the first claim on their productivity went to government would we have still fought a revolution if they had done that? I don't know. What do you think, Todd? I'm asking. Think they would have taken that compromise? Well, at the very least, that's the kind of thing that is a cooling saucer. Uh, is it a full-time compromise? But you, this is to your point about how 
the long train of usurpations mm-hmm. that indeed happened. I mean, this this stems from what the French and Indian War happened in the what seventeen. 40s to 50s 50s, over that there and it's from then on and organizing the thereafter colonists were getting frustrated in what's happening with their lands and who's protecting us 1770 is in fact when uh the boston Boston massacre Massacre. happens you don't have the shot heard around the world until 1776 so you're right that that's the kind of thing that you know it's a it's a grown-up conversation is what you're talking about goes back to where we started you're dealing in fundamentals yes see i'm not so sure they wouldn't have taken that deal because I've never bought this idea that they were some superhuman generation better than us. I don't believe that. I think they had inherent advantages, as we've talked about that. And they're they're a pre-Darwinian culture. So, you know, they're not as caught up on the descent of man, and which really means the elevation of man. And the they hadn't read Nietzsche. Nietzsche hadn't come around yet to kill God. So they didn't have some of the philosophical mainstream challenges and baggages associated with them that we do. But they also, you know, many of them went home to slaves. They had they had generational baggage. We don't either. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I don't think this was some superhuman group of human beings. I don't. And so I wonder, I wonder if the king had not said, I'll give you nothing and you'll like it. And not just once. He said this for years. You mentioned it was between it was it was 1775 was Lexington, 17. So five years. Five freaking years, man. Five, five more years. This went on on top of the years that this went on before that. So if the king had come back and if if he had offered them anything other than you'll get nothing and like it over and over and over again and push them to the point of, and oh, by the way, my soldiers are not going to stay in your home and show me where all your munitions are just so we can kind of register them, keep an eye on them for you. If he had not just kept double and triple and quadrupling down, yes, and put, he put them in, he, you know what? Oh, Essentially, what the Redcoats did is they offered you the choice the Democrats do now. Uh, either you slit your throat or yeah. we do it. What's your, you know, you, what's your option? If, they offer, if he had offered any other compromise, all right, I'll dial back the, the rate. You just give me my cut off the top before you see yours. Would they have taken it? I suspect they might have. I suspect they might have. Because it's human nature. Human nature to seek the path of least resistance. What do you think, Aaron? Is From the generation that we revile. Man, that is... <laughs> That's the truth. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's a that's an incredibly interesting analogy because because that basically was the Mad King, George, uh, you know, uh, George saying, "Hey, what you just said, the, the choice that the left gives us now, um, heads I win, tails you lose. Either way, uh, there is going to be resistance. You will be made to care mm-hmm. at some point along the line. That is fascinating. Hmm. Something to think about. We'll come back. Fake news or not." Todd and Aaron go thumbs up or thumbs down when we come back here on The Blaze. Stay tuned. Real Estate Agents I Trust was started because there is a lot of frustration in buying or selling a home, all right? And it's one of the the most stressful, but if done right, one of the most rewarding times in your life because our homes are the biggest investment most Americans will ever have. So tired of real estate agents who talked a good game, but then it didn't deliver the goods when they were called upon the most. Glenn Beck and his friends started Real Estate Agents I Trust a few years ago for three reasons. Number one, selling or buying a home, it's a complicated process, not easy to navigate. Number two, 
market values in your in, for your home can't just be decided by an algorithm. You can't just simply look at, uh, let me go on the MLS and uh, see what uh, these uh, homes sold for. No, 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 no. One home in your one home in your neighborhood may have sold way under market value. There was a death, uh, a divorce, a sudden relocation, and so they they were desperate to sell. Uh, you need an agent who understands those things, does his homework, and then third, home sellers. You gotta you gotta like the person you're working with because you guys are gonna be working really closely together. All right. Those three reasons are why you want to consult real estate agents I trust. So get moving right now with the agents at realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, let's get to it. We're back to our normal format of fake news or not, where we are only now looking at media sources or people and sources that are supposedly representing your views and the truth to you and I who lived in who live in what's left of America. So we're not fact-checking Katie Tour anymore. It's a pointless exercise. That's why we it's for the same reason we didn't put clips of Al Jazeera and Russia today on fake news or not before is the same reason why we're not putting, you know, clips of CNN and MSNBC personalities now. Now we will put those networks on if they put people on that are meant to communicate to you. But short of that, we're looking at the is the news that is supposed to be for us. How trustworthy is it? Here's clip number one. Since 9-11, we've had terrorist attacks in this country. The majority of them have been right-wing extremists. And the majority of those have been white supremacist attacks from a, a, a synagogue in Pittsburgh to a church in, in South Carolina. And these are white supremacist groups that use language, as we saw it, as far away as New Zealand, use our president's language almost as if as a license for these attacks. I swear, in 20 years, every fifth grader will believe 9-11 was committed by white supremacists. Totally true. You watch, you heard it here first. They're the real threat. We need to fear and suppress them. Tucker Carlson, is he going too far there with that analysis? Is it fake news or not, Todd? Oh, no, that's, he nailed it, uh, it isn't fake news. Uh, Tucker Carlson uh, is having quite a, a, a run these days. Uh, and, and Steve, you've been talking about uh, just earlier this week about how uh, the importance of not letting faulty premises uh, stand. You know, don't sit there in hushed tones and talk about, well, yes, we too have problems. Uh, that whole that, that whole stat about, you know, what is or is not a hate crime who is or is not committing them uh these they take great license with statistics to make it that we just got roving bands of white supremacists and maga hats out there it's a preposterous notion it should be dismissed on its face and tucker i don't know what he said before that or after that if that was in the middle but that should be your initial reaction just it, that's a breathless joke and Corey harris you aren't a serious person for a certain what do you think Aaron? That's absolutely uh, true news. And I think in 20 years, um, you know, people in my generation or younger are going to uh, open up their $1,000 monthly uh, liberty stipend from a Andrew Yang, who is still going to be president, <laughs> um, and also right after that going to get their huge tax uh, break at the, uh, at the, um, in the middle of April every year and then lament the fact that, uh, boy, man, I really wish we hadn't gone to those wars all those years ago because of those dang white supremacists. That's definitely going to happen. And forgive me, I said Corey Harris. I don't know why no, I referred I to him I as was a cornerback to... on the Packers from like a decade ago, but no, I apologize. You were thinking Kamala Harris. That that was probably a two. Aaron, if I went 
to pick a college here locally, Simpson, about a half hour from here. All right, if I went to Simpson College and I just randomly grabbed 20 students, look at his face. I don't like what <laughs> If only the audience could see the look on his face right now. Now he's going to be ripping on millennials here. If I went to the, if I just grabbed 20 students randomly and said true or false, white supremacists were responsible for 9-11, how many people do you think of those 20 would say true at Simpson College right now? My roommate uh, goes to Simpson. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. He, okay. he has to, he had to take a class called Bowling for Socialism, which is, I think, the name of a documentary as well, uh, in his first semester there. Uh, for one of his classes, he was trying to go, he was required to go to a symposium on fat shaming. And most recently, he was invited to a drag queen night. So does that answer your question or do you want more? No, I think that that's answer enough. Thanks. Why do you ask those questions? There's no good answer. At this point, why do I ask any? Why, why ask any questions? Let's get to clip number two. Felipe Carcente is on the line with us, a French elected official who is in Paris now. Uh, Felipe, w- what, what have you seen and what do you know? Well, I was, um, I was uh, close to the scene when it happened. And no, I left the place because I, we want to let people work around it. Everybody's really under shock now in France. Of course, you will hear the story about the, the politically correct, the political correctness, which will tell you that it's probably an accident. Sir, but sir, sir, I, we're not going to speculate here of the cause of something well, which we don't know. If you have no, observation, if you have observations no. or you know something, we would love to hear it. No, I'm just telling you something. What you need to be ready. No, sir, we're not doing that here. Not now. Okay. Not on my watch. Okay. Felipe Carcente, okay. it's very good of you to be here. Uh, we're, we're watching. All right, fake news or not there, Shepard Smith playing Shepard of the news and of the truth and what is responsible journalism. Aaron, I'll start with you. Has he ever watched his show? That's, that's total fake news. Now, I have watched his show before, back when I had less of a life than I do now. I, I actually did watch his show on a somewhat well, just you basis. and your end tables was, and, you know, a, a pile of tools, right? Don't go there. <laughs> but, yeah. Dark times. but it was, yeah. Uh, um, the before amount the of speculation. People be like, what happened to Steve? Well, that, he, he actually looks great in my family room. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> uh, the amount of speculation that I have seen that guy do on just about any news story with a breathless coverage of yes. of whatever the news du jour of the day is and the ding, you know, Fox News alert. Oh, my God. Shepard, watch your show, do some air checks, then come back and we can talk to us. <laughs> do you watch I know. your own You're so show. right. I tried so hard to be a, as objective as possible with this, and I'm thinking, okay, well, can I see in a situation, I don't, just neutral, you don't know that it's Shepard, is it responsible uh, adjudicating of the guests on your show to make sure things don't go on the rails? Heck, Steve, I know you agree with that because you walked on a show because somebody wasn't doing it. So that's, poss- mm-hmm. that's possible. But then you also have to ask yourself, with this, it went there so fast with it. I mean, why did you have this particular person on? Were, were they vetted? Did you know where they were going? So a French politician, as he's I He's an understand. elected official, yeah. is what it said. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, so with it, it, it would seem that you need to allow him at least a little bit more rope on where 
to go. I, I had a hard time picking up his accent when I, the several times I watched the clip. It, I don't. But if I'm wrong, tell me. I don't recall him making a specific allegation as much as a general, no, a general wariness about yeah. politically correct well, explanations. Right, right? And it's not without cause, considering the regular yeah. occurrence recently. Is this so, not where the Bataclan? He, he didn't make. Happened. He didn't make a specific allegation. No, he, didn't he made. Get a, he, made, he made a general uh, caution against politically correct explanations that are convenient. Yes. And Shepard Smith's the one that jumped to. We're not doing that here. So. Isn't wouldn't that make Shepard Smith the uh, Islamophobe then? He's the one presuming that this must have, this guy must be a, a, an Islamophobe when he never actually said anything about Islamist or who or anybody else. Wouldn't that actually make Shepard Smith that person then? Because he's the one presuming that must be that 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 he, the impunity of a general character without a specific what's allegation. What's the right? phase the racism of low expectations? Yeah, the bigotry of bigotry low expectations. Of, yeah, yeah. Right. All right. This next clip is my favorite in the group, mainly because of the description attached to it. Here's this one. Is the president serious? Does he really intend to ship thousands of immigrants all across the country to cities like New York and San Francisco and a lot of other places? Uh, Certainly, we're looking at all options. As long as Democrats, Chris, continue to ignore the crisis at the border, continue to refuse to sit down with the president and Republicans in Congress and come up with a solution to stop the national security and humanitarian crisis and the number of illegal immigrants that are flooding across our border, then we have to look at all options across the table so that the towns right there on the border aren't taking on the entire burden and that we're shifting some of that burden uh, to places who constantly claim uh, to want to have open borders and want to have an open city so let's put some of those people into their communities and into their towns and and see if they are okay then with that same impact again the big part of the the question and the the big thing we have to look at here is how do we stop this from being a problem in the first place we shouldn't have to be putting people and moving them all across the country to spread that out we should have a border that's strong a border that's secure a border that functions the way that it's supposed to that's the president's number one priority that's what he'd like to see happen and that's what he'd like democrats to work with him to solve if they continue to be unwilling to do that we're certainly looking at all options okay uh i want to pick up on this specific option though about shipping migrants to sanctuary cities. The president tweeted last night that he has, the government has, quote, the absolute legal right to do so. But as has been reported, this was floated by the White House, brought over to DHS, and they said repeatedly that it was not legal to do so. And also they said counterproductive. Take a look at some of the objections that DHS raised. They said Congress has approved no specific money for this purpose. ICE says it would be, quote, an unnecessary operational burden. Sending them to sanctuary cities, which don't cooperate with federal enforcement of immigration laws, would make it harder to round them up later. And it also might be an incentive to more illegal immigration. So I guess the question is, how do you overcome all of those problems? Again, nobody thinks that this is the ideal solution, Uh, but until we can fix the crisis at the border, we have to look at all options. This is one of them. Whether or not it moves forward, uh, that's yet to be determined. This was raised at a staff level initially uh, and pushed back on. The president wants us to explore it again, so that's being done, and they're doing a complete and thorough review. Uh, But again, the big thing is if Democrats 
including the mayors uh, and members of Congress in these communities, want these individuals. They should be helping the president, frankly, look for solutions to bring them to their communities instead of fighting the president every step of the way. Let's work together. Let's solve the crisis at the border and let's figure out how it doesn't make a massive impact on any one particular community like we're seeing in a lot of the border towns uh, all along our southern one, border. One other- all right, so we wanted to make that clip longer to give it as much time as possible because the description associated with this clip, and I'm quoting here, Chris Wallace methodically destroys Trump's plan to ship migrants to sanctuary cities right to Sarah Huckabee Sanders' face. That's verbatim the description of that clip, okay? So given the description of that clip and what you just saw, all right, Todd, I'll start with you this time. Is that fake news or not? Chris Wallace just showed you the poster child for fake news. That is the fakest of fake news. I, I, he, f- What he should be asking is if a border, which is the, one of the most basic concepts of sovereignty, a well-regulated uh, and defended border, for it to have come to where we are now, where a solution like this can be put on the table, that's what he should be wondering. Isn't that the fact that we are even discussing this as a concept at all, a sign of how broken things have gotten? But no, he's acting as if everything is reasonable and gray area and nuance up until this point. But now all of a sudden... We're dealing in crazy land. When yeah, the Donald, guy trying to do something yeah, about it is the when, unreasonable Donald one. Donald Trump is actually right. saying, hey, progressives, you've got an idea over there. You keep ignoring the law and creating this place where you want them. So we're going to give you even more. Every premise about this that Chris Wallace takes up is just backwards. And he, I, he is better. He, he's got to be better than this. Otherwise, he needs to go away. He, he, he's not. Aaron. Yeah, no, this is, I just want one quick comment about this. This is a typical tactic of uh, left-wing media, uh, which is basically all of mainstream media. Uh, You notice how he goes to one particular person who says a specific uh, set of facts. Yeah. See, we have this expert over here who says this, 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 and this. Why, how how dare you? How dare you be contrarian to the expert? Explain yourself. Yep. One final clip. Here it is. Well, he argues that uh, your quarrel is with him as a gay man and that he says, I was born this way and this is the way God made me. That's just not your belief. Well, I think think Pete's quarrels with the First Amendment. Feud is what the uh, that's that. So you hear Mike Pence comes back. I think his quarrels with the First Amendment talking about uh, Pete Buttigieg, who's having his moment in the sun right now. But uh, this is a feud between Buttigieg and Pence. Aaron, I'm going to start with you. Fake news or not? Uh, well, that is that's fake news. I mean, it's, here's what I what I'm focusing on is his is his comment. His feud is with the First Amendment. When I heard him say that, the Mike Pence, whose knees buckled on Rifra, all of those memories came flooding into my brain. My sperm count dropped. Your sperm count dropped. Todd's sperm count dropped. Everyone in this audience's sperm count dropped. Even the women. <laughs> guys, guys, if you're going to have this argument, 
with somebody like Pete Buttigieg at all, which we believe you shouldn't because he's just he at least to me. Uh, he just re- represents a swarm of locusts, and what happens when you try to argue with a swarm of locusts, you e- eventually get devoured. If you are going to have this argument, though, at all, here's what you cannot do, and it's in your book, Rules for Patriots. You never abandon the moral high ground. Guys, Pete Buttigieg is making a, a really transcendent God says. Yep. And like Pence says, well, the Constitution says, which is higher in the, the, the list of priorities, which is higher on the totem pole, at least for your own stated faith, Mike Pence, the Constitution or God's word, how easy is it to just, how easy would it have been just to quote uh, Jesus' words in Matthew 19 about marriage? How, how easy would that have been? Then hoisting him by his own petard. How hard is that? If you're going to have this conversation, have, have this argument, actually have it. If you're going to have a feud, just have it. If you're, if, you know, if you're going to respond to this at all, uh, actually come prepared. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Late last year, the Manhattan DA's office uh, released a grand jury report noting law enforcement received a couple of grand worth of complaints about deed fraud, almost all of them from what was called a faulty notarization. It's a nice way of saying an attempted forgery. All right. And you've got, you've got this because uh, this is the most valuable asset most Americans have. So criminals are looking for vulnerable properties. They're scanning the obits, looking for prospects. Don't let your home be the next thing they get their grubby little hands on. Protect it uh, from fraudsters with just pennies a day from our, with our friends at Home Title Lock. They'll put a virtual barrier around your home's title and mortgage. And you can go to HomeTitleLock.com right now and register your home to see if it's already been targeted maybe even already been stolen. HomeTitleLock.com is the website. It's a title scan and report, normally $100 value, but it's free for our audience today here at The Blaze at HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. You have a minute you want to add to this, Todd? Get it? That's about what we got left. I would have just taken the Tucker Carlson approach and ask her right back, you know, why are we standing out here in the middle of the desert <laughs> talking about a guy's sex life who's polling at 9%? Why? That's, that's the right answer. That's exactly right. Who cares? And you know what's funny is here you have Pence doing everything he can to directly to not directly engage this guy. And dodging and weaving this conversation and he's still stuck with escalating feud. You know, they're going to nail you anyway. So you might as well say what you really believe. You're going to get all the same criticisms, but you might actually get some of the reward. John 3:17. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.